This is exactly right. Welcome to the premium episode of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. Thank you for subscribing and joining our community. Starting today, as a subscriber, you'll have access to a new premium episode that drops on the last Tuesday each month. And you'll have exclusive access to videos. For premium subscribers only, every month, I host a new Parent Footprint Sitting Down with Dr. Dan episode, where I answer your listener questions about parenting, mental health and wellness, being human, and much more. And you'll meet our podcast producer and audio engineer who are parents and will alternate joining me monthly. Today in our first episode, please meet our producer, Laura Rossi. Laura has been on my team since 2013, starting as my publicist and has been the podcast producer for Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan since our very first episode on September 26, 2016. Laura is a mom of twins, a published author, and a public relations expert. Hello, Laura. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Dan. Thank you for that great introduction. I'm going to add one thing to it, which is I'm not only your producer, I'm also a listener and a fan. Uh, Your advice, whether it's been your books from the beginning, articles you've written, or our podcast um, has helped me and my husband navigate raising our twins. Um, One of them has special needs. And it just seems like every new chapter of parenting, you know, we encounter different benefits from Dr. Dan. So um, I'm really excited. Particular, in particular for me, um, I hope our listeners on these premium episodes love hearing about mental health, mental self-care, and how we can model all of this kind of stuff for our kids. So thank you, Dr. Dan. Hello, listeners. And um, we can dive right into it. So we um, have asked our community on social media to submit questions. And our goal is for all of you fabulous listeners here on Stitcher Premium to feel like you're really sitting down with Dr. Dan. So um, we get the questions. Then our format for these episodes will be that we're going to do kind of a traditional Q&A where I'll ask Dr. Dan the question. I'll give a shout out to the person who submitted it, whatever their handle is. And I may occasionally chime in too, because you can all hear that I'm kind of chatty. And (laughs) on future episodes, you will hear Phil, our engineer, so he can give you a little bit of the dad perspective. So all of the questions today are from our followers on Instagram. Our handle is at Parent Footprint Podcast. Question number one is actually a two-parter. Katie R. Riley asks Dr. Dan, how can I get my kids to willingly help with chores and I thought this was related a little bit. How can I get my kids to stop whining? Oh, yes. Okay. So first of all, I want everyone to think back and how, what was your experience of doing chores? Like how many of you said like, yes, <laughs> like, can I do more? You Ooh. know? And uh, yeah, so this is actually an interesting one for a, a lot of perspectives. Um like most of these things, we have to think about how old our kid is, right? And I, I think it's much easier to start this process young 
knowing that in the uh, preteen adolescent years, we're going to have some regular pushback. But when our kids are young, they want to be like us. They want to contribute. They want to do mom and dad stuff, right? Like they want to help rake the leaves. They want to help fold clothes. They even want to do mm-hmm. dishes. They might even want to clean the bathroom and scrub the toilet. I'm talking okay, to little Send those kids, kids to my house. Yes. <laughs> Cleaning the bathroom. That has yes. never happened. <laughs> so earlier, the better to start talking to them about, hey, do you want to help mommy? Do you want to help daddy? Or hey, today... Uh, we're doing house cleaning day and it just becomes part of a ritual of things that we do to take care of our house. Now, if you didn't start young, you're not alone. A lot of parents don't start young for whatever reason. And then it's just, it's like, how do we spin this thing? And there is a debate actually in the field of do you, and and in parents, because it comes back to your values, right? There's this debate of, do I pay for my kids to help out around the house, right? This whole thing about allowance. Or is this just a natural, you know, like this is part of being in this family is you help out. Like, well, parents don't get paid. You should not expect to be paid. Now, I think it's just split. And there's not a right or wrong here. It's really about, in most things, thinking about what your family values are and what you're trying to teach your kids. So we also, you know, so we also, though, have to think about as the kids get older, they would much rather be doing other things. So some amount of pushback is is regular. And I think we have to do our best not to pounce on that and get triggered by that as much as possible. And therefore, that's when you have to think about what is the motivation going to be? Like, is it, hey, we really need your help around the house because it takes a lot to keep this household going, this family going? Or, hey, we want you to learn about how the real world works. And in the real world, you um, do things and you get paid for it, but you don't get paid if you don't do it. So just know, start with values then work your way to some possible incentives if that's what you need. And I just say start as early as possible because it is good for kids to have to contribute to the house that way and see that they actually make a difference. What did you do? So our twins, um, are they just graduated high school. But I do want to sort of confirm that starting young helped us get into a habit of chores. And then when we introduced an allowance, we did it separately um, as kind of a separate you know, sort of part of being in the household that we you know we're going to mm-hmm. give you this until you can be having your own job and earning your own money. But um, one thing we struggled with, Dr. Dan, was we started trying to do chore charts when the kids were little and then lists. And we realized that if we set up a routine that had assigned days, so Saturdays, clean your room and do at least one load of laundry. And then mm-hmm. we had the kids on an alternating schedule of, you know, whose night it is to do the dishwasher. If we made it really sort of clean lines on who's doing what, it worked better. Mm -hmm. We had chore charts and stickers and all these different things parents do. I feel like the kids had ways of not following through as much. Yes, yes, that's a really good point. Because what happens is, it it also is complicated for us. So when we set up these systems that are so elaborate... (laughs) We it means we're giving ourselves more work because now we have to follow through for those systems to actually work because our kids look to us just like they would to teachers, right? It's like, well, you assigned it. Aren't you actually going to give me the points and give me the credit? Exactly. Chores are supposed to take the work away, right? Not make exactly. more work for us. So that's exactly. where we kind of fell into 
a rut. That's that's a <laughs> so. good call. And wait, but and before we get to the whining, which of course yeah. is so related to this and more, <laughs> it is. Um, it's reminding me of a of a talk I went to several years ago at a conference, and it was um, some university might have been University of Kansas um, was presenting on what makes the happiest families, and what. And, and I went at a time when our kids were all young and um, we were trying to figure out all the behavior and all the rules. And and we had all of these things on our kitchen window, too, all of these charts and all of these things. And I don't think they were really working so much. And so the the, the main conclusion of this study that they presented on was the happiest families have the least amount of rules. And I'm sitting here thinking, Oh my gosh, we I think we've I don't even know how many rules we've re we've instated. So and funny. you know, and so it, and what it was it's about and in my experience of doing this job and being a parent for a while now is it really is about values. Like you do have to have rules, but we really want to try to fall back on values of like how do we contribute as a family? How do we treat other people? Like, you know, how do we show up and then save your rules for the, as few things as you need to, like there's a curfew, right? I mean, as your kids right. get older, there's stuff like that. But I think this is to your that point, great how advice. do we keep this simple? Yeah, that's very freeing, actually. Values versus rules. It's, it's you know, really kind of two different buckets. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, before we get into the whining piece, I just want to say um, when you were kind of giving some examples in the beginning of your answer, I think that idea of kids contributing and having pride in their role in the family particularly in our house where we have a special needs child. I mean, that is priceless. That's a life lesson that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can't even like put any value on if I were to mm -hmm. try to compensate with an allowance. It's just, you know, it's off yeah. the charts because yeah. it's that pride of contributing that I matter. And I think mm -hmm. that really is a building block for self-esteem for kids. Totally. And resilience, because as you know, we did a podcast with um, Dr. Kenneth Ginsburg on resilience, and he's a renowned um, international resiliency expert. And he created the seven C's of resilience. And one of the C's is contribution. And the whole point is to show people that they do matter exactly what you just said. So, That's so cool. It, See? You know, right, so now there's resiliency in this as <laughs> Dr. well. Dr. Laura, I'm kidding. Dr. <laughs> Laura. Not yeah. Dr. Laura. No, it's all Dr. <laughs> Dan. But I do like hearing as a, a yeah. listener, and I hope the listeners yeah. listening right now, it's just that even Dr. Dan, who's our expert, you know, you had to kind of figure out the nuances of what worked for your family. Which is cool oh, yeah. because we all think, you know, everyone else has yeah. got it done perfectly. And that's a myth. That's a myth. Yeah. So right. that, that's that's cool. So whining. Yeah. Let's talk about whining. Exactly I'm whining. <laughs> yeah. So whining. Um, okay. Now, some kids do whine more than other kids. Like, I, that's true. So, but first, let's start out with a lot of times we have to start with this place of acceptance and, um, this, this place of, um, try to come to these things with neutrality because a lot of kids behaviors are, they're trying things on, right? They're trying on like, does what works? How do I express myself in a way where I get responded to and get what I need? And even if I don't like my, what I get, maybe what I get is still better than not getting anything at all. So we're trying, like when we can, when we can think, pull back the curtain, we want to think about like, what is our child trying to communicate? Now, to be fair, some of these behaviors like whining do turn into habits. And what we want to try to do is 
what's the behavior we're trying to cultivate? And in this case, I would argue that the behavior we're trying to cultivate is how to communicate in a way that is not... I'm trying to think. There isn't another name for whining. I think everyone knows what whining yeah, is, right? I know. I yeah. mean, it's. I, I feel yeah. like in an older child, it might be complaining. Yes. You know. Yes. I mean, but yeah. for younger kids, yeah, whining is such a universally understood term. But in older kids, it's it's kind of complaining or being a little negative is what I think about. You right. know, when I think of the older version of stop whining. I think. I think, thing. I think you're spot on. I think <laughs> yeah. you're spot on. And so, what I think we don't always do as parents is explain to our kids why we are parenting or responding in a certain way. We just sort of like stop whining or don't talk like that or you're not going to get what you want if you talk to people like that. And if you're a child, you don't really know what that means, particularly if you unfortunately happen to have like a whiny tone, which does exist as well. It just from a voice uh, perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so we want to help our kids understand, hey, you know what? So the way you're saying this to me, it sounds like what people consider whining and complaining as opposed to just telling me what you need or what you don't like. So like, it's okay for you to tell me that you don't want to do this, but let's try to do it a different way. Let's practice a different way of telling me. For example, tell me you don't want to take out the trash and I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to take out the trash but then we need to talk about why I do need you to take out the trash. And we really want to be sure as much as possible not to shame our kids because a lot of times yeah. our reactions unintentionally are shaming. Like you sound ridiculous. Oh my gosh, you sound like a, you know, name it. We do, Then our kids right. just internalize feeling bad. And what I would argue is we want to say, hey, you know what, let's try saying that differently. I really want to hear what you have to say, but can you tell me, in your regular voice. Can you say it to me differently? And then when we look at sort of behaviorism is all about, do we reinforce a behavior or not reinforce a behavior? If our childs are continuing to um, whine or complain, and then we do respond, we're actually reinforcing that behavior. Even if we're responding negatively, wow. we're still, you know, so. So they're getting attention, even if you're it's, getting attention. Okay. So do you think, um, particularly with younger kids, should parents practice that little inner count to 10 and, you know, breathe through your maybe, you know, real human emotion of that's annoying me and do that quick breathe and then try to talk in a neutral voice, you know, especially for the younger set, just because I think I joked that this question related to the chores, but I do think um, when you're giving a kid a directive and that's their go-to response, right? They're, they're communicating yeah. a lot of things, maybe um, trying stuff out to see what they can get away with, maybe starting a habit. So it's up to us to yes. reframe it. Is that what you're saying? So uh, yeah, I think that's okay. a really good call because so many, so often, I mean, we're all living our own lives and are, we might be a little fried and not have a big reservoir and we're just, it's easy to be reactive uh, and also to react in ways that maybe our parents reacted to us. Um, and it is taking a pause, like you're saying, and taking a deep breath and trying to reframe it. So I understand you don't want to do this. Can you tell it to me in a way that you think that I can hear it? Or can you tell me in a way where I want, where I feel like I'll want to respond to what you're saying? That's really actionable too. I like that because Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, we're all human end of the day, you're hearing the whining and one of these 
exasperated responses is giving attention to that behavior that you don't want to reinforce. So take yes. the breath. I'm, I'm going to use this even with my 18 year olds. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, it applies. Say, you it know, applies what are you saying? You know, what yeah. do you mean yeah. you don't want to mm-hmm. carry that big, heavy box in for me? Let's sort yeah. of see what you're really saying. So, yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm hoping our, our All right. Whining is gone. All whining, whining is, is gone. gone. It's, you it's solved gone. your yeah, problem yeah, with whining. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So m- moving on, um, mm-hmm. we have another uh, listener and follower on Instagram, and it's MZ Dolan or Ms. Dolan. And this one actually um, kind of intrigues me um, when I think about what the core of the question is, because um, having a special needs kiddo, it kind of triggered some stuff for me. So, mm-hmm. um, this person is asking for strategies to help their three and a half year old with self emotional regulation. And then they put a note on the side that said, currently, um, their child depends on hugs for mm. self emotional yeah. regulation. And so I thought, wow, I love thinking about that with a yeah. real young kid. And then yeah. I can certainly see how that's grown through the years for our, you know, eighteen-year-old who's got special needs. Um, for sure, for sure. With lots of kids, uh, people with um, special needs, um, there is the 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 growth curve of emotional regulation. Right. That's one of the things that anyone who um, has a special needs family member or works with kids with special needs knows that self-regulation and being able to soothe oneself and manage one's behaviors um, and emotions, it's it's hard and it, it's it's a it's a process. Um, and what would you say? Would you say um, I guess, actually, Laura, I'm going to throw one back on you for a second because we're having a three, a three and a half year old. What would you <laughs> yeah. say, because you have twins, of your experience of this, the ind- individual trajectories of different kids' ability to self-regulate? You know, I, it's as different as every child is. So as a parent mm-hmm. of twins, um, even though our daughter is typical and our son has special needs, when they were both young, even around three and a half years old, they needed different supports to kind of regulate themselves. So for our daughter, if it was excitement, you know, she might need kind of a little holding of her hand or like a reminder, you know, maybe calm your body before we do X, Y, and Z activity, you know, entering a birthday party or something and just being like so kind of hyper and agitated. And I would sort of, you know, with nonverbal cues, be able to kind of quickly ground her. For our son, um, he needed a lot more support. And one thing we did have to do uh, was give him sensory input. So deep pressure. And again, I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. I'm just a parent, but reading this question about this three and a half year old needing hugs. So that yeah. falls into the category yeah. of what our son would need. And he still needs mm-hmm. it at 18. He needs kind of um, a tight hug or an arm around the shoulder or something to like literally give his body the sensory input that he needs in order to mm-hmm. regulate. Um, over the years, we've tried different things. You know, our daughter ended up kind of finding her groove. And as a you know, typical children figured out what she needs for her own kind of internal regulation, like we all do. But for kiddos that don't have that built in set of devices, um, teaching them things like maybe a weighted blanket. So mm-hmm. if there's not, if mm-hmm. mom's not there for a hug, grabbing that blanket, that weighted blanket might help. And again, using things that are age appropriate and safe and, you know, three and yeah. a half year old may not be able to communicate that, but maybe you'll see that child have a tendency towards favoring that weighted blanket. Yeah. Um, or knowing, yeah. you know, kind of what you can give um, for input. And then I think mm-hmm. also just verbal cues, like a calm parent, calm voice, 
quieter room, quiet sounds, you know, removing a child from a stimulating situation. But that right. m- emotional regulation, I feel like that is a muscle that, you know, if it's not there, you have to actually right. help your child build it. For sure. And you're and you're and Laura's what Laura's talking about is all the sensory processing input um, and sensory processing challenges that a lot of people of all ages have. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting triggered with podcasts to give to, to shout out for people. So we um, Stu, we've had two podcasts with Stuart Shanker, who is a sensory regulation guru, international specialist. Um, so amazing. Dr. Stewart has a great book. Um, he's had these great podcasts. So for those of you who have kids with regulation issues, um, often there's a sensory component. So highly recommend those. So now also to in, in going deeper with this question, so we also have to think of what's developmentally appropriate. So to have a three and a half year old with regulation issues, you're still, there's a lot of three and a half year olds that are still having regulation challenges. I mean, it's quite typical. And I know in our family, you know, this whole, the myth is the terrible twos with our kids. It was like, it seemed like the terrible threes, like the threes, were, they were more <laughs> dysregulated when they were three than when yeah. they were two. The other, so, for, so we also have to look at normal behavior or n- neurotypical, I should say. There is no quote normal, but neurotypical right. behavior right. and knowing that there is a, a span um, of when the, this occurs. And I'm thinking of the work also of Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson uh, and all of their brain-paced parenting work. And of Absolutely. course, Tina's been on the show a lot and you guys would love all of her, um, in the interviews with Dr. Tina Bryson. They talk about how important it is for parents to the first thing to do when their child is dysregulated is to help their child regulate. Like that's actually the first step is to help your child regulate. So the person who the listener answered this question, you're already doing it right. If you're giving hugs because the hugs are regulating and that's really, that's totally appropriate for this age. And it might be because all of us have been, many of us have been raised to think that, okay, our child has to regulate themselves. I'm not just going to go over there and hug them and make them feel better. I would argue at this age and even older, you're still like, that's would be the great thing to do is go over and help regulate you. It's called, it's like co-regulation is what it's called. So you're co-regulating, co-regulating with your child. And over time, whether it is through a sensory toy, a sensory blanket, learning to take timeouts, learning to take deep breaths, mm-hmm. you're through co-regulation, you're helping your child learn to regulate over time. So I guess what I'm saying is don't rush it. Don't, you don't feel you need to pull away the co-regulation strategy when that's something that works because for some kids that doesn't even work. They're still really upset and dysregulated. Yeah. That's great advice actually. That kind of goes back to, you know, every, every child is on their own developmental journey. And so Mm -hmm. for this parent, you know, it sounds like there's a range where this is, you know, completely appropriate and age appropriate. Some kiddos, you know, are reaching these milestones a little bit later. Um, But, you know, eventually that three and a half year old will be a four and a half year old that might be starting to practice some self-advocating. Like, can I have Mm -hmm. a hug or I need a hug? And so, um, but I love that idea. I've never heard that about the co-regulating and that's probably newer stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. that we just didn't hear those terms in our parenting journey, but we did not No, that's really, I think, wise advice. Um, and then, you know, just know it's going to change all the time. Right. I mean, that's uh, as kids get older, this need for how they're regulating is also going to change. So hugs are working yes. now. It's, you know, holding yes. hands might work later. So 
And it rarely changes when we want it to or the way we want it to <laughs> yes. as parents. <laughs> but, exactly. But it does. Exactly. But it yes. does. Yes. That's great. Yes. I, I feel like I'm getting permission for things, you know, even now that I can apply. Like I said, in the beginning of our, our chat today, yeah. it's just, I think being open to learning as a parent is, is one of the best tools and resources you can bring to your journey um, as a parent or a caregiver. So... We have they one last question okay. and this one came in anonymously. So I don't have a username and um, this is for a, a little bit of an older age group. And it's, it was framed as post pandemic question. When should I allow my teenager and his or her friends to start taking day trips again? Meaning since the pandemic is still active, what should I be doing as a parent about safety? If her and her friends or he and his friends are vaccinated can I let them just go back to normal? Would you make them not go to places where there's low vaccine rates? You know, what kind of freedom should we be giving our kids when we're still navigating the mm -hmm. pandemic a little bit? Um, this is such a relevant question for all of us, right? Um, and all of us at different, different parts of the country and world. So first off, and we've seen this throughout the pandemic. And when I say this, this being every family handles it differently. And I guess what I want to say is that's okay. You have to, in the end of the day, you have to stay true to how you feel while at the same time, be, we have to be aware of where our fears are creeping in, which usually relates to more exertion of control and mm -hmm. um, of, of hovering. And of course, when it comes to a, a pandemic, which none of us are equipped to have experience, um, is you're making this up as you go. And so it's checking in with yourself. It's checking in with other parents that you've, uh, you know, you have similar values with and other um, friends, parents, families, parents, what are they doing? Um, it is practicing what are the latest safe CDC guidelines. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you know, the vac people are vaccinated, which is great. And now at the taping of this show, we're dealing with the Delta variant and other yes. variants <laughs> that are spiking at different parts of the country. Um, I just think it's about being informed and trying to come up with the best decision, the best you can in the moment with all of the information. And it's yeah, this, it's this tough, true. it's this tough balance because I mean, so many people have been suffering and our teenagers and young adults have really been suffering with the um, lack of social um, experience that they that they haven't been able to have. So it becomes a mental health issue. So I guess all this is to say is back to you is like permission, permission to trust yourself while gathering resources and being aware of where your um like where your where your guidance is coming from right is it coming from a place of fear which still might be legit or and or is it coming from a place of um trying to do best practices and then Laura, like you advice. you have 18 year olds you have 18 year olds right so this is yes. the time of and you know my kids are similar age they want to yes. be out there they, yeah. right and there's only so much control that we can exert when they reach this yeah. age um but i was struck by how you started addressing this question i didn't even think about this until i heard you kind of dissect it and, and start to answer it which is I didn't read this as a parent having to also deal with their own fears. If you know, mm -hmm. I don't, again, I'm not sure who the listener is, so I don't want to read too much into it, but um, I do feel like, Oh wow. That was just this light bulb moment of 
it may have kind of two two pieces to it. One mm-hmm. is really kind of what should I be doing with my child who's a teenager? I want this, you know, boy or girl to, you know, have their experiences, but there's a little subtext as I'm just reading it again, um, that this is also coming maybe from yeah. a place of fear of the parent and rightly so it's a, you know, we're, we're coming out of a pandemic. Yeah, legitimate, legitimate, totally yeah. gem- legitimate. So I want this list to, yeah. you know, not yeah. feel yeah. like we're calling him or her out, yeah. um, in kind of a negative way, but I am thinking, we all have to always kind of come from a place of what's best for our child. And sometimes we don't even realize maybe this person who sent the question, didn't even realize that it's coming from a little place of their own fear. I think right. following right. the CDC get- guidelines, like their kid or kids are going to be fine if they're doing what we know now, what the guidelines are. So maybe this is more about making mom or dad, or, you know, if it's a grandmother or a caregiver feel better about what they're deciding. Well, right, because we parents know. don't it's, want yeah. to screw up. Like, we don't want to mess up. And again, when our kids are smaller, we have, you know, m- a lot of control over what happens or doesn't happen to them. And as our kids get older, we have less and less control. Although I think we like to, we feel just as responsible when they're out in the world. And so I guess I'm seeing this question as something that's just part of, as most of our uh, long-term listeners know, a parent footprint, which is everything comes back to our own parental awareness of where we came from, how are we feeling, what are we bringing in the situation, what are we reacting to. And it it applies to all situations um, and including a pandemic. And what makes it harder in the pandemic is there is there's like real scary stuff that's been happening for a really long time. Um, and it's this whole sure. layer of the unknowns that are out there. But all of us, I think you and I, Laura, we've talked about this at separate times with our own parental anxiety and worries. Like, I don't know a parent who doesn't worry about something or worry about their kids. The key is how do we separate the worry as being, is it something that's ir- uh, like something that we really need to pay attention to? Or is it something that it's more about our own thing than our kids thing or, or the situation that's out there. And it's, so again, I want to be clear, like this is a really tough situation when you're dealing with, um, a pandemic, because we do know that even, even vaccinated people are still getting COVID. Now the good news is they're usually okay, (laughs) but, but, but like these, these risks are still out there. So I just think, especially with teenagers who want to get out there, this is a tough call. And it's just looking at all the elements to make your best shot, your best decision. That's great. Oh, that, wow. That was unexpected. You know, just to kind of like what I heard from that versus, you know, when the question first came in, but it does go back to what we say at parent footprint, which is, you know, yeah. we have to deal with ourselves as individuals because we are passing yeah. down how we live and what we're modeling. And so mm-hmm. even when it comes to a legitimate fear you know, making sure, kind of checking ourselves too. Just right. to, is it really more about your kid or you? So you know, that's kind of an interesting thing to think yeah. about for a future well, episode, maybe. Yeah, and to take it and to take it a step. I mean, just to continue the conversation. I think particularly these. This is these are at least teenagers. I'm guessing by the question, and how it's so important for us as parents to communicate to our kids with respect. Um because 
they push back against our authority. And if we have to have legitimate, like it, it really, it really helps if you have a legitimate place you're coming from, or you can have the conversation of like, let's just, I just want to tell you what I'm struggling with. Like, I know all your friends are going, I know it will probably be fine, but let me just tell you what some of the stuff that's going on um, there. And I, we, and I had this conversation literally mm-hmm. last week with one of our kids about, um, I, who's very informed, but I say like, here, let me tell you some other things that is making us just a little concerned about this situation. Right. And we've heard this and we've heard this and we've heard this, and this is just coming out of this and this is coming out of this. So it's not as clear cut as some people are saying, and that's what's make, giving us some pause. And then if you can engage in a dialogue and a problem solving conversation, it actually can, you know, it goes back to your values. It also can like solidify a a relationship instead of have a relationship breach. And then you can hopefully come together with some agreement that it's sort of a win-win for both parties that, okay, let's maybe try this, but let's not try this. Yes. That's a great way to kind of wrap up our our Q&A today, because I, I think that this is another opportunity, you know, it's another kind of life lesson. And if you want to really get corny, you know, gift of the pandemic that, all right, you know, this is a really hard thing to navigate maybe as the parent and as the teenager. And what can we do right now? You know, take this moment and really talk about it because we are, we continue to get gifted these things as we're coming out of a global pandemic. And so I like to think, yeah, Hopefully there, there are, you know, kind of these little gems that we can still extract. Um, so that wraps up the questions for our this first one. First, this is our first episode. one. Yeah. I hope you all loved it. Thank you all for listening, Laura. Thank you for this. Uh, we're many more. We will be doing this many more times. Absolutely. So send in your questions. I, you know, Dan will tell you where, but it's, uh, I'll say it, podcast at drdanpeters.com, or you can DM us on any of our social media, which I will let Dan take us out um, at the end of the episode. And thanks for listening. Awesome. Well, Laura just did a very good job of that. So I'll just add on, be sure to listen to our podcast, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, where we have new episodes every Thursday. And of course, this new Stitcher Premium bonus episode every month. You can follow us at, at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. You can also visit us at www.drdanpeters.com. And as always, I will leave you with the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.